Dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast formerly about NBC's The Good Place, and now about kind of whatever we feel like, for the time being anyway. My name is Brianna, and with me now on the line for the 100th time, woo! tonight she is my co-captain on the anxiety-free cruise. It is my sister, Marissa, and the the brains behind this operation, really. <laughs> the SS. Because I only had an stencil. That is one of my faves. That's for Angry Beavers. 90s kids will love this. <laughs> Remember uh, Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> uh, this is our 100th episode, which is completely wild. <laughs> it's just wild to me. And, you know, the world itself is a little wild right now. Very wild. So... You know, instead of doing our normal thing where we sort of watch shows and movies of varying quality and then recap them, uh, I think Marissa was like a little burned out from like the slog of last week. It yeah. Happened. So it just happened that like that was our 99th episode. And then she, she was just like, I have on for a hundredth episode we just do like things we love and i was like great um so we are you know we thought we'd take a moment to celebrate a hundred episodes what that means to us and also invite you along on what we have stolen from the mcelroy family as the anxiety free cruise um with some of our favorite favorite stress-free media recommendations yes that's the that's the imperative word here yeah i mean i think we were we were chatting before we started recording and you know we both have sort of come to a place i think in our own <laughs> separate but equally stressful experiences <laughs> that you know real life is real tough right now for everybody and so it, it, it we we're talking some darkest timeline it is <laughs> situations right really here. difficult and so you know we want this podcast to be a place that like be something where like you see it on your feet and it like cheers you up you know we're not going to deliver your daily dose of how everything is on fire you know so we wanted to kind of for our 100th episode instead of talking about like one particular piece of media you know talk about the good place talk about how we feel about 100 episodes and also just give you some recommendations that are like getting us through this time and hopefully will also help you do you have anything else you want to no, add? No, it's a noble goal. Yeah. <laughs> we um, are the heroes America yeah. needs <laughs> right now. <laughs> we do have international listeners who, like, you might be listening from a country where you've eradicated COVID. Like, you're in New Zealand right now, and you're like, I could use some more anxiety, and I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't have Just that for you. Log on to Twitter, and you'll <laughs> yes. be fine. You'll get your dose. Yeah, I mean, and and I think we we said this before on our first episode back, but we don't mean to, like, trivialize anything that's going on right now or say that, like, those things are not important. I think we're actually trying to do the opposite, which is those things are all very, very important and take up so much of our brain space. And Right, so like, don't get it twisted. We are paralyzed by terror every minute of every day. <laughs> 
But I think that's one of the reasons why, like, I'm glad we're recording again, just because it, it is something fun to do during this time. And, and it's also lovely to talk to my sister because I have not seen you in person uh, in a very long time. This but, might be the longest we've ever gone without seeing each other, maybe? Yeah, I think that's true. I'll, think that's you true. did that semester abroad. Maybe that was a little longer. But I landed and then came straight to you and we went to Disney World. <laughs> I forgot. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Alex, I'll take places I wouldn't be caught dead right oh, now for 500. <laughs> that's for dang sure. Oh, man. I mean, so yeah. So yeah, we are... <laughs> but also, we we want to just, like we said, we want to just give you a, a place to be that, you know, I think Marissa talked about this on our first episode back when we did The Princess Diaries too. was just this sort of idea of like, you know, you're at home, you might be by yourself, but even if you're other, with other people, like, there are times when, you know, the spookies get in there and you just need <laughs> other voices to come and say soothing things to you and so that's what we're that's aiming to do especially funny because spooky was our childhood dog yeah that's true <laughs> that's our dad was uh i talked to him after july 4th and he's like i'll tell you i'm glad spooky isn't alive anymore because we had some fireworks in this neighborhood and he would have been <laughs> really having a hard time and i was like spooky's oh you should been, come to brooklyn <laughs> spooky's been dead for 30 years by the way <laughs> it's been a long time yeah but he was attached to that dog so Yes. Before we jump into our recommendations, first some housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. You know, I think it would be really nice if we got some rates and reviews in honor of our 100th episode. I will say this, you know, when we get to it, but I personally had no concept of what 100 episodes would feel like or the amount of work that would go into it and all that kind of stuff. So... It's pretty neat to get to this milestone, and if people feel like giving us a shout-out, that would be great. You can also follow and like us on Facebook. We have a group called The Good Play. Twitter, we are at The Good Play Pod, and you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. Shall we get I to- was just checking to see if we had any new iTunes reviews, and the answer is no. <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Oh, wait Do a minute. We- let, me, let me sort by most recent instead of most helpful. Okay. Most recent. No, still no. What if the most recent one is also the least it helpful is. one? It's it's from Carson, who we read the email from last week. She has both the most helpful and most recent. Yay! It's one out of one listeners found this review helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, do we have any emails? No. Okay. Uh, send us an email. Should we get to the... So basically, our, our concept for this block is we are taking all of our listeners on an anxiety-free cruise... Right. And what would you pack? What media would you pack for an anxiety-free week? And so we've got uh, four different categories. Podcasts, TV shows, movies, and books. Those are the only media, right? That's not... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess there's music, but, like, I can't can't begin to tell you. Music is so personal. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I guess I could dig There's up opera. Like, my oil paintings or something. But... <laughs> Mixed me. <laughs> <laughs> my sculptures. This is acrylic one... on wood. <laughs> Which one of these marble sculptures am I going to bring onto this cruise ship? <laughs> uh, so these are, you know, portable, streamable, uh, accessible things that we thought would get you through 
Um, so do you want to start us off with podcasts? Sure. Uh, so I guess I'll say, I guess we should say probably up front and at the back, like the name of the thing, just in case someone's like, oh, that's interesting. What was it called again? So yeah, it's called TBTL, which is short for Too Beautiful to Live, which is a podcast that's been going on for well over 10 years at this point. I started listening to it in 2012 when my first child was born. So it's hard to explain the concept of the show because it doesn't really have a concept. Uh, it, it is just sort of the two hosts kind of chatting, which I think that maybe you could kind of, you could kind of say that's what this show is, right? That it's the two of us chatting, but we have yeah. a topic like, a, you know, we usually have a topic for every episode and, and yeah. this is not that this is more, this is a daily show. So it actually, that's wild. <laughs> it eats and it's like an hour every day. Easy. So it, it, it eats up a lot of, uh, time, if that's what you're looking for. But it often is what I'm looking for, right? Like, I need content to put into my ear holes. So I would say that, like, one of the things that the pandemic has starved me of is, like, adult conversation. Mm. So I've mentioned this before on the show, but my husband is deaf, which means that, like, I talk to him, but I talk to him in uh, American Sign Language, or we, you know, or we will text each other or whatever. Um, but there is something about the... There's something about the music and rhythm of a spoken English conversation or whatever, like your native languages, that is like very comforting. And I mean, I think that's why if you were ever like a kid in the car and your mom was listening to national public radio, (laughs) why it was so easy to fall asleep to that or why. I mean, I remember being a kid, not even like a young kid, like a teenager and just suddenly being really tired and and hearing like sort of the music of conversation of my mom talking to my dad or, you know, Brianna talking to one of our parents or whatever and sort of falling asleep to that, like curled up in a chair in the living room. And I'm not saying that TBTL is a show that you should sleep to, although I have done that on airplanes, but like before the pandemic, the way that I would get my fill of conversation was that I would go to an office (laughs) five days a week, right? And do whatever else on the weekends. And I would have my fill of human interaction, (laughs) like in the English language. Yeah. And I don't have that anymore. I mean, I have two children, one of whom speaks English quite well, the other of whom... He's adorable. Adorable. He's extremely cute. And he also doesn't know what any adverbs mean. And he will just throw them in. Um, Like... Did you brush your teeth? I even brush my teeth. What does even mean? And <laughs> he means already, but like, you know what I mean? But like, you can't have a real like adult conversation with children as young as my children. And the thing that TBTL has given me, I mean, it's given me a lot, but the thing that it has given me is like these very familiar voices chatting about things. And, and it is almost entirely anxiety free. I'm not saying they never talk about I mean, they talk every single day, right? So sometimes it's going to be like, today, I went to the grocery store and somebody wasn't wearing a mask and it gave me anxiety, right? So I'm not saying that this is completely, you know, divorced from the realm of reality. Yeah. However, generally, that's not what they're talking about. Generally, it's just sort of chatter. And they're, you know, talking about their lives and whatever news stories that are complete anxiety free news stories they kind of came across and thought were interesting. Like, oh, like maybe so maybe there's like a new species of fish that's discovered and it was named after like a character in a book, right? And they're going to talk about, oh, did you read this book? I read this book. Does this fish look like that character? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, most of it is pretty anxiety free. (laughs) like topics and like, and they, I I think that podcasts, a lot of podcasts can kind of be divided into 
do you feel like you have a parasocial relationship with these podcasters versus do you never feel like that? So I would say that like scripted, like I have never had that feeling about this American life, right? Like the scripted, like very like reportage kind of shows, you know, code switch, like never do I feel like, oh, I, you know, I bet that I could be friends with these people if they just knew I was listening, right? <laughs> right. Like that's my a, friends, whereas my, oh, my friends are on the radio today, basically. Right. Yeah. And I think probably people feel about this podcast that it is the parasocial kind. Uh, and I love that. And I right. would love to be your friend, honestly. <laughs> and I feel like I, in in the pandemic time, I have less than no use for the other kind of podcast. There is, I can't listen to the scripted ones. I can't listen to the ones where I'm, you know, they're trying to educate me on something or it's an interview show. I'm not saying I haven't listened to a single episode of anything like that. But by and large, in these times, I need to kind of feel like there's a friend on the other side of the line mm. that I'm listening to. And mm. TBTL is the like the er example of that for me. So Too yeah. Beautiful to Live by American Public Media. You, they're on they are at over 3200 episodes at this point so you got a lot of catching up to do <laughs> if you are stuck in your apartment you know 24 7 and you just need voices you could do worse than just hit play on that baby <laughs> yeah i've listened to a couple episodes of it and uh i i enjoyed it um I, marissa sent me an episode where they interviewed somebody from supernatural actually oh right was, misha collins because like luke is actually friends with him yeah because i started watching supernatural and marissa was like oh here's a guy from supernatural that's on this show and they actually had you know so like they have guests right he was one of them and it's very rare but they yeah. do they have a guest maybe like once every two months but it's it seemed like they had a really good um, rapport and it was a fun show. I might get back to it because I do need voices yes. other than my own. The ones in your head. Other right. than the ones creeping inside my head. My podcast is called The Adventure Zone. Uh, it's on the Maximum Fun Network and it's hosted by the McElroys, which we stole the name Anxiety Free Crew. Oh, I stole it. <laughs> we stole the name Anxiety Free Crews from... Yeah, I have no memory of this. From so. their their sort of prime podcast. So, you know, I, I never want to assume, but I feel like the Macroys are pretty big in the podcast game now. So you may have heard of them from one of their other podcasts. Uh, my Brother, My Brother and Me is sort of their their biggest one, but all of the brothers have other podcasts that they do with their wives and... This one, The Adventure Zone, is a podcast uh, that they do with their father, who was a radio personality and has he's done got a great some acting voice. as well. Yeah, he's, he does. He has a great voice. And so it's the four of them playing um, really inventive, funny games, uh, funny campaigns of Dungeons and Dragons. And so, you know, I, I think that this podcast will probably have maybe a more like niche audience than something like a too beautiful to live because I would imagine that for people who are kind of like outside of D and D, like it might feel a little bit, uh, what's the word opaque to try mm. and like learn the rules and whatever. But the, so, you know, 
I'll start with why I love this and then I'll kind of get back to that because I, I, I do think it's worth a listen, even if you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. Why I chose it, I, you know, I've been playing D&D. I started playing when I was a nerdy uh, middle schooler because I had very nerdy middle school boy guy friends. I was going to say boyfriends, but just dude friends. And then, you know, a, a few years ago, got found a different group and got back into it and I really, really, really enjoy it. Um, I love it for the storytelling. I love it for the world building. I love it because you kind of get to be a different person for a little bit. And I think since quarantine, I know since quarantine, it really has been a much needed escape for me during, you know, just from the difficulties of just everything else that's going on. And, you know, it's, it's one of these situations for me where I'm like, well, I don't have control over literally anything that's happening in my life. But for like a few hours a week, I get to see my friends and, you know, from a very practical perspective, it is we all get on a video call together and we are not talking about the pandemic. We are not talking about all these other things. We are here for a purpose, which I think, you know, I love talking to my other friends on video calls and stuff. But there are just some days where where like you just get caught in this cycle of like, oh, God, everything is horrible. Right. And so it's nice to have a structure But it's also great because it's like, oh, for a few hours, like, I get to put aside my troubles and I get to solve puzzles and I get to kill monsters and I get to save the world and I get to be the hero, right? I'm at the center of the story, which I think right now you feel very much like you're not, you know, like it's you don't have control over anything. And in this game, you do. And the Adventure Zone kind of gives that same fantastical world building and that sense of escapism and you get to listen to other people kind of go on this journey where they are those people who are solving puzzles and killing monsters and saving the world. And it's blended with the McElroy sense of humor, which, as Marissa knows, is like very absurd, very self-referential. All of their characters are really funny. They've got a, just a great chemistry as a family. And so that really comes through with all of their characters um, they've been doing the Adventure for Zone for a few years, and so there's a really extensive backlog. And the other thing I like about it is it's sort of funny that Marissa picked a podcast that is very, as you said, like parasocial, and I chose one that was much more story-driven because I like the parasocial ones too. Like, I listen to My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is another Macquarie podcast every week. But it's, for me, it's also nice to kind of click off and go into a narrative mode, like a story... a, a it's not a stakes-free story because D&D is like, you're always trying to figure out like what evil plot is behind this thing that seems innocuous or whatever. But uh, so it's not a totally stress-free story, but it's such a fantastical story that I don't have to actually worry about anybody in the story. Right. And so they have a really extensive backlog of this. And so, and the storytelling is fantastic. Griffin, who's the youngest brother is the, Dungeon Master, which is the game master for the first slew of episodes, and now the middle brother has taken over, and the the adventure that they're doing right now took a while. I would say took a little bit to get started, so if you start at the beginning of... It's called Adventure Zone Graduation. If you start at the beginning of Graduation, keep with it, because it's really ramping up, and it's getting like... Like last week, I mentioned on the on our podcast that my emotional reserves are so low that I've just been like crying at everything, including in a 
podcast where a character comes back after, you know, having been rehabilitated. Like, it's this surprise, you know, she comes back at the end and it's kind of a surprise. I was literally crying (laughs) to myself in my apartment that this character had come back. So it's really ramping up. And yeah, I would just say, like, it's it's a really wonderful storytelling device. And they just have a ton of chemistry. And they're really, really funny. And also, bonus, like, if you're looking for some new reading material, some of their early adventures have been turned into graphic novels. Um, so you can find them from First Second. That's the publisher. Um, and their latest graphic novel, which is their third installment of the first adventure, is called Pedals to the Metal. That's coming out this month. So... If you are like, I have enough podcasts, but I'm kind of interested in this, then you can also get it in book form. I just, uh, I love that it's called graduation because in my head it's now, I've been waiting <laughs> on this my whole life. Yes. I mean, Kanye West is a whole other story. Oh, but things we are not <laughs> um, talking about. <laughs> before we get to TV shows, <laughs> before we get to TV shows, like one honorable mention, if you're if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, like I think the McElroys are a little bit more accessible if you've never played D anD D, but you just like want to listen to like a really fun story. Honorable mention if you're into D&D stuff. I recently discovered um, Dimension 20 from College Humor. So I am a little peek into my actual life. I am I am running a campaign for my group of D&D buddies right now. And so I was like looking for basically like videos about like how to not be like how to be a good DM and like how to not screw this up. So that's I, I came upon Dimension 20 and I just started watching the first season of it. And it is, it's more like a TV show. It's, you know, the podcast Adventure Zone, it's all obviously in your imagination. But this has, like, they play on a tabletop and they have minis and they, because it's through college humor, they have sets made and stuff. And so that's very cool. Um, so you can kind of see it more. But I wanted to include it because there's one character in it who starts out very religious and the first season is uh called fantasy high the one character starts out very religious and she goes through a crisis of faith and i'm at the point in the season now where her her spirit guardians uh which is this thing you can conjure if you have a certain type of magic are supposed to be divine but she doesn't know who her god is right now so they show up as moral philosophers and (laughs) so i thought chidi would really improve of that (laughs) so i wanted to give that a shout out as well you say I think <laughs> I'm never wrong. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Maybe you're right. I stand by that album. I don't care. Kanye yeah, can do she, whatever crazy yeah. shirt he wants to do. That album is amazing. That album's fantastic. Graduation. Yeah. Go pick it up. <laughs> We're moving on to the TV shows. Yeah, yeah. So my TV show pick is very basic, and I don't care. It's great. It's great. <laughs> I the o- pretty much the only TV aside from my children are always watching like Nature Cat and po- Pocoyo, which is supposed to be for babies, but they, it's like one of the only shows they can agree that they both like. So whatever. But adult television shows I have been watching. There's very very few since lockdown started. Uh, but the one that I have been consistently watching is Queer Eye on Netflix. Ooh. I remember when Queer Eye for the Straight Guy came out when I was in college. Me too. And I it loved was, it. It was actually, I mean, it was revolutionary at the time, which is crazy to think of. But gay rights have advanced like so fast in our lifetimes that it's actually kind of crazy. 
but now Queer Eye, which is called Queer Eye on Netflix, uh, I kind of can't believe nobody that anyone like has not heard of the premise of this, but it's a group of five, I will say queer men. I don't think they're all gay. I think Kremo is bi, but a group of five. And Jonathan is gender binary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although he says all the pronouns are fine. Okay, cool. So a group of five queer guys kind of drive around America and they like pick people to like do like a whole life makeover of. So the reason that this is anxiety free is let me compare really quickly how the so the clothing aspect of this is pretty minimal. But let me just compare how Tan, who is the clothing expert on Queer Eye, how like Tan's clothing approach compares to what not to wear, which I was just rewatching last night Mm -hmm. because I was just like, oh, I used to love what not to wear. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll probably still finish watching the episodes that are free on Amazon Prime, but... Tan is very like, oh, let's look at your closet. Hmm. You know, I don't love this. I, like, some of these pieces are okay. I'm like, I'm going to take you to a clothing store. I'm going to show you, like, okay, um, with your figure, you know, you you know, you know, have this beautiful insert body part here. <laughs> and, like, I really want to accentuate that. And so, like, let's put you in some outfits. Like, look how amazing this is. Like, oh, and this doesn't fall right and that's fine it's five dollars to get this tailored and you know i'm just gonna show you like tailoring is really great and uh, they don't spend an an inordinate amount of time on the clothes on queer eye but it's part of the makeover versus what not to wear which is like centered on basically humiliation i mean that's sort of the currency of what not to wear is humiliation like Mm. we filmed you in secret for two weeks we ambushed you i mean queer eye there are no ambushes like people know that they are coming Right. Yeah. This is not. This is not a surprise. You know what not to wear. People are getting ambushed uh, in surprise. They are nominated by their friends who say, usually say, pretty unkind things about them. Right. In the queer eye nomination process, people are like, "We just want our mom to know yes. how much how special she is." Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I I just think this is a really useful comparison here because I think you know, fashion makeover shows are pretty common. And the way that they got people to watch was, can you believe, you know, they force people to put on their worst outfits. Can you believe how terrible this person looks in it? And we're just going to tell them everything they're doing wrong. And we're going to go through their closet and pick out the worst pieces and be like, can you know, this looks like, you know, a dog chewed it. And how could you own this? And like, I can't believe you're still wearing maternity pants. Your youngest kid is five years old and blah, 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 whatever. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a pl- like, it's not the most wholesome entertainment, but like entertainment doesn't all have to be wholesome. Mm-hmm. The thing about Queer Eye is that it is completely wholesome. <laughs> it's completely, it's like wholesome, uplifting, like uh, up with people, yes. you know, acceptance, positivity, uh, vulnerability, facing your, facing the, the things that are most difficult in your life and just like facing them with grace. And the hosts often really like, the hosts of What Not to Wear, like, you don't know anything about them from that show. Like, there is no, there's just, like, the, there's a veneer of, like, I am a television host, and, like, that is who I am when I'm with the people on this show. And, like, they are never going to know that, like, oh, I also had cancer, or my mom had cancer, right? right? Like, that's not happening. On Queer Eye, it's, like, one of the guys will be, like, oh, the thing you're going through right now, it sounds a lot like when I had to come out, and that was really difficult for me. Or you know, oh, your parents are immigrants, my parents are immigrants, and it's really hard being a first-generation, you know, American or whatever. Like, yeah. 
Or, I mean, Bobby has the most amazing backstory. Yes, the guy who does the whole Interior like, house design. makeover. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, by the way, the house makeover is the most impressive part of every episode. Of course it is. I mean, yes. It's it so much work. Is. So much work. It's so much work. But it's just, like, it's not that nobody ever says anything snarky. Sometimes people say snarky things on Queer Eye. Yeah. But the overall mood of Queer Eye is always that the person at the center of the show, which they now call the hero, they don't even call them contestants. They say, who's our hero this week? Yeah. The person at the center of the show, who they call the hero, like they deeply care about this person and they want to make their life better, which sounds like the antithesis of reality TV. And I am sure that there are scholars on reality TV who would tell you that this is all a facade or whatever. And I don't care. It's a facade that works as far as I'm concerned. I don't think it is a facade because like I've read interviews with these guys where like they still text with some of the people who've been on this show and some of the contestants or sorry, the heroes, some of the heroes have actually met each other in real life and like become buddies through, you know, so I, and yeah, I mean, I think part of, so Queer Eye for the Straight Guy when it first came out, you know, you said like on this show, the the hero relating to the five guys, you know, there is a lot of that personal touch to it. On the first iteration, that actually kind of wasn't true. You no. know, because they were, you know, the way that Jonathan talks about it is they were fighting for tolerance and we're, or Tan said this, they were fighting for tolerance and we're fighting for acceptance. Mm. So they, the, the sort of version 1.0 of Queer Eye, I mean, those men probably had very rich, full lives that we never heard anything about because gay marriage wasn't legal and civil unions were like sort of contested, like, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Like people were kind of, on different sides of that issue and you couldn't really talk about gay adoption and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, you know, it was early, very early two thousands. But, but to your point, Marissa, like metrosexual was a word people were saying. Yes. Unironically. <laughs> right. And we weren't as much talking about gender being a spectrum and all these kinds of things nationally anyway. And so, you know, to your point, Marissa, the, the speed at which we've seen, LGBTQ rights, you know, go forward in this country means that this version of this show, you, it is that same kind of parasocial thing where you feel like you know these people by the end of the Mm -hmm. episode and you feel like you know what they've been through. And the casting directors, I think, are great because they find people, they find heroes who will bring out different parts of these people's strengths, right? The different parts of the strengths of the hosts. And different parts of their background, right? Like in the latest season, they had a guy who was homeless for a long time. And Bobby was like, I went through this. And let me tell you what I did to get out of it. And let's meet with a financial advisor so that, you know, you can be on the right track. And, And the fact that we can have a conversation where it's like, there's no shame in what you've been through. Like, I think that's a lot of what I get out of Queer Eye is just like, everybody's doing their best. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, there's also like a huge like diversity difference between the first and the second iterations mm-hmm. of the show. Like mm-hmm. Queer Eye by the Straight Guy was five. If my, my memory, I mean, like, again, it was 20 years ago. So my memory is a little shaky, but it's like, I'm pretty sure there were five white. Mm, Jay was not white. Okay. He was 
Latino, right? Yeah. Yeah. So certainly predominantly white, all American, and they all appeared to be sort of like able-bodied and like on the higher end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And also maybe more importantly, the contestants were like well-to-do white dudes for the most part. Like, and oftentimes it was like, I want to propose they, yeah, to Yeah, they only did men. You know, like, yes, they, straight Yeah, guys. they only yeah. made over men. And it was only in, like, the New York metropolitan area. Because right. David Collins, the guy who started the show, said, like, at that time, that is the place, that was, like, the place in the country where, like, you could do that. You could have five gay guys show up at your house and, like have somebody accepting on the other end was like in a big metropolitan area like that right they could have gone to the west coast but i suppose it was funding issues yeah but like and also my memory of the first iteration was that they were all sort of there wasn't a lot of like um sort of how do i put this like the way that Jonathan is, let's just say it, like, very flamboyant and... Living his life out loud. Yes, thank you. <laughs> like, there was not that, right? Um, it was... Carson was the closest thing to that, but he was very snarky. Right, I mean, yeah, but there was no, but there was no, like, the, the new show, like, there's a lot of, like, they'll come, they'll hug the contestant all, and they'll kind of snuggle together on the couch yes. when they're watching the footage, and, yes. like... It was a very, the first show was like a very desexualized, a, a weirdly desexualized version of queer men. Yes. Whereas this is like, no, like that's, it's part of who they are. It's it, that part of, you know, they are in a queer culture, you know, which is a very distinct subculture. Yeah. And, you know, and Jonathan is HIV positive and Karamo has adult children mm-hmm. and is African-American and uh, Tan is uh, he his family immigrated from Pakistan to England. And now he has immigrated from England to America himself. And his husband is Mormon. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the funniest thing? So they live in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. And so Bobby and Bobby had this very like. And, you know, maybe the original cast had interesting backgrounds that we just never knew about. But And also, but, like, as I was saying, more importantly, like, the heroes of this second iteration, like, are all kind... They are not just white dudes in Jersey City, right? Right. (laughs) They are people of, like, all colors from all across the country. I mean, I was just watching one where... It was a Latino guy, and his English was, like, not super great. And so sometimes it would just be in Spanish, and it's like... read the subtitles yeah <laughs> it's your job to read the subtitles yeah. which is fine and great this is exactly what they should have done but like all like just like a whole spectrum like a like a real spectrum of america that you like a, honestly like a cross-section of america that like you don't usually get to see like anywhere mm. like when do you get to see like you know two african-american sisters who are you know trying to run their family restaurant and also you know, an older white guy out in rural Georgia who, you know, just like loves his dog and is just trying to get along. And also like the single dad, you know, in suburbia who lost his wife to cancer and also like a firefighter, like just like an honest, like cross section of the country, you know, that I find really interesting and, and kind of it's almost like trenchant in this moment. Yeah, I think that's a great, I love Queer Eye too. I think it's a fantastic show and, and just has brought a lot of joy and i i remember 
there was an episode in um I'm kind of stepping on your TV recommendation by adding my thumbs up, but I will add it anyway. <laughs> it's fine. But I remember there was an episode, you know, when you said, like, they really care about these people and they want their lives to be better. I, I truly do believe that because there's there's an episode where with the guy, did you watch the one with the guy who lit is, like, in his 30s, lost a bunch of weight, still lives at his parents' house and is trying to be a comedian? I probably did, but I don't remember it it's that a, well. It's a, it's one of the earlier seasons. Okay. Oh, I'll also put in a plug for Queer Eye Japan because they do oh, a yeah, lot of cross cultural stuff there, and it's all in subtitles that when they talk to the contestants, so or the heroes. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. And there are some really interesting stories on that one. But the the guy, so they spend a full week with this dude, the guy who wants to be a comedian. They spend the full week with him. They're, like, trying to big him up. They're trying to, like, you know, you can do this, and we're gonna, like, Karamo's, like, helping him getting his website off the ground, and we're gonna do a photo shoot with you, and don't you look so handsome, and Tan is, like, getting him all new clothes, and they've all got him set up and everything, and, you know, how are you feeling? And so he goes to his show, and he does his set, and you kind of watch some of the set, and it's sort of funny, and then comes off stage, everybody's like, you were great, you were great, and then he starts talking to a girl, and all the guys, all the Queer Eye guys are sitting on the couch like, who is that? Did he mention a girl to anybody? And they're all like, no, like, who is this? And then at the end of the episode, he asks this girl out on a date and she says yes. And they, the Queer Eye guys flip out, like legitimately flip out. And then they kiss at the very end of the episode. And <laughs> there are like gifts of this where... um where Jonathan is just having, like, a full-on fit, like, lying across the couch, like, screaming <laughs> while the other guys are cheering. Karamo gets up. He's like, that's my man. I knew you could do it. That's my, you're my guy. And I just have this moment of, like, everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants the friends who are on the sidelines, like, bigging you up and being like, you can do it. You got it. And I remember texting one of my, listener Kate, one of my best friends, and saying, you know... I love the idea that, like, you, you, like, when I go on a first date, that there are, there would be, like, a couch full of <laughs> queer dudes, you know, or friends, new friends of mine going, like, yes, we knew you could do it, right? Like, it's, it's just so <laughs> lovely and, and wholesome, but that's one of my favorite moments of the whole show, because they, they truly were invested, like, Anthony, who is the food and wine guy, and also some serious eye candy. <laughs> Very cute. Was like, kept being like, well, who is she? Like, who is this girl? Like, did he talk about her to anybody? And it's like, you get the sense that like, they really do want to know what's going on in your life so that they can be there for you. And I just, I wish we all had that really. <laughs> and this latest season is in Philadelphia, which has been fantastic for us because it's like all these th- places we know. Oh, totally. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 <laughs> they, I remember getting a text where he was like, he took her to like a park we went to Higgin, growing was up. Was it Higgins Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God. Karamo took a mom to Was it Higgins Park? I was like, yeah, Brianna and I were there every Sunday yeah. of our entire childhood. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that was the one time that my, our mother got kind of a break was when she <laughs> forced our father to take us to a park once a week. <laughs> Um, which at the time I don't think I understood. And now I'm like, 
especially now 100 percent. oh yeah my television recommendation i don't think will surprise any person who has (laughs) talked to me for more than five minutes my television recommendation is the show psych from usa network i finally get to talk about my love of psych and no one can tell me to be quiet so they're just gonna cut the rest of this (laughs) could you imagine he just muted me um (laughs) The short synopsis of this show is Sean, who is an underachiever with unusually keen observation skills, is hired as a consultant by the Santa Barbara Police Department after he cons them into thinking he has psychic powers that help him solve crimes. What's the network show later that just completely stole the premise? The Mentalist. The Mentalist. If you see The Mentalist, you can get the premise. Yes. I'll get to that in a second. I'll get to that in a second. Um, oh, with, don't think we're not talking about the mental. We're talking about the mentalist. Uh, with the assistance of his reluctant best friend, Gus, played by the fantastic Dulé Hill, mm. the duo take on a series of complicated criminal cases and open up a fake psychic detec- detective agency that they call Psych. <laughs> Which, as Dulé Hill says in the pilot, Psych, as in gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and he says something like, how about we just call our, uh, call ourselves like um, we're faking and we're lying to the police and hope someone doesn't die because of it. And then Sean says, well, that's way too long to fit on a window. If you're wondering if my sister can quote every single episode of Psych, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, she can. You, If you have talked to me, like I said, for more than five minutes, like you've heard me quote this show, I find it very hard not to do like in every conversation I have. I have literally been in the bathroom on a first date, like texting Marissa, like, I think it's going okay. And she's been like, for the love of God, don't quote anything on this date. Please try to be a normal person for like the next hour. And then you go back to the table and you're like, Jamaican, Jamaican Inspector Man. We're going to get there. So this show is my ultimate comfort food TV Uh, So it's a crime procedural because, you know, they're solving crimes using the fake psychic stuff. Um, But it's not stressful at all. The show doesn't take itself seriously. Uh, All the crimes always get wrapped up in a neat little bow. And, And more than the crimes, it's really about, it's just the absurd, it's the humor, right? It's a really funny show. It's filled with absurd situations. There are hyper-literate pop culture references and homages, which is like when Marissa mentions The Mentalist, I know the backstory behind this because I'm a crazy person and I've like watched interviews with the guy who sold the show. But the guy who created the show, his name is Steve Franks, talks about how he pitched to every single network, every single network. This was, so this show came out when I was in high school. Jeez, is that true? Senior year of high school. So they're having their 14-year anniversary. They just had their 14-year anniversary of going on air. Criminy. Yeah, so so he, so he this was, you know, maybe 15, 16 years ago. He pitched to every single network. They all turned him down except for USA, which at the time was really building up its stable of, like, blue sky programming. If you've listened Characters to... Characters welcome. <laughs> right. If you've listened to our episode where we talk about playing house... It was sort of that in that same era, and that's where we get, you know, like, Royal Pains or, you know... Blue Bloods. Uh, no, not Blue Bloods. Monk? Monk. It's a jungle out there. <laughs> Necessary Roughness, like, those kinds of shows. Beach and Law? Was that be- one of them? Beach well, Law? Yeah, Beach Law becomes <laughs> the amalgamation eventually, but... 
so USA took a chance on him and he always talks very highly about the network. But what happened was basically that a lot of these networks who turned him down said, you know, there's no audience for this show. It's like completely absurd. A fake, a, a guy who is like a fake psychic or a f- like is really good at solving crimes, but he's not a police officer. Like that doesn't really make any sense. By the way, that's basically the concept of Sherlock Holmes. So, like, yeah, yeah. The guy who's really good at solving crimes because he notices things, but he's not a police officer. Who would ever make that the most beloved piece of culture <laughs> of the 19th century? Right. I think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle would have something to say about that. But he. So then one of the networks that passed on Psych several years later started up a show called The Mentalist, which is <laughs> essentially the same thing, but it's not a comedy. Right, it's this very self-serious Very, very self-serious nonsense. So when I talk about self-referential humor on Psych and the homages and the the hyper-literate pop culture references, they talk about The Mentalist a lot. (laughs) Because it's their way of jabbing back. Like, there is an episode where one of the characters is going undercover and she has to fill out a fake profile, a fake dating profile. And she puts her favorite show as The Mentalist. And another character says, like, that's kind of a lame favorite show to have. And then Sean, who is the fake psychic on the show, says, like, why would you even say that? Have you even seen The Mentalist? It's a great show. <laughs> like, it's a, they, they, they really play with it. And there's another time where they have to, it's what Marissa said, where they have to introduce themselves to a third party who's like, you know, I'm a psychic. I'm with the police department, but I'm not a cop. You've seen The Mentalist, right? And the character goes, yeah. And he goes, it's 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 like that, only that guy's a fake, but we're real. I mean, if we were a fake psychic, if I was a fake psychic, it would be the exact same show, like a virtual <laughs> carbon copy. So they really, they just dig their nails in. And that's, I think this show really rewards people who are interested in like those pop culture nuggets or those little like self-referential beats and things like that because the fandom is just like basically all about that and i will say too like marissa and i love a lot of things where we love the piece of art and then the fandom kind of can get toxic at times right star wars is a great example (laughs) sykes fandom is the purest fluffiest most lovely people in the whole world like for the for the 14th anniversary people were donating food to their local food banks because Sean and Gus, all they do on the show is eat. Like that's all they ever care about doing is eating. And so it's just a really lovely fandom to be a part of. And the other thing is like everybody on the show who made the show had like a great time doing it. They're all still friends. Like the two main leads who are Sean and Gus, uh, James Roday and Dulé Hill became really, really good friends on the show. They are still friends this cast will still do reunions. They did eight seasons plus a musical episode. And then they came back a couple years later to do a movie. The next movie is actually coming out on the 15th of July. Wow. I can't believe this is the first I'm hearing of this. Um, I've been tweeting about it. I don't know where you've been. Um, <laughs> I free Twitter. <laughs> but the, the next movie is coming out. And basically the cast has said, the cast and creators have said, as long as people want us to make these movies and want us to like inhabit these characters, we'll do it because we love it. We love you guys. We love the show. And it's a rare show for me where the 
you know, the creator had said about the finale that we don't want it to feel like an ending. We just want it to feel like these characters are going to go on doing all these hijinks, but you just, it doesn't get filmed every week. And that's really what the finale felt like. And then they've been able to come back and do these movies that really feel fun and they don't feel like, you know, they're not in it for like the cash grab because it's, you know, it's this very weird niche show. Can I, can I just interrupt for a second? Yes. Obviously Queer Eye is on Netflix. I think I said that. Where do people get a hold of Psych? Uh, so if you're like me, you have the DVD box set. If you're okay, not. Let's assume. If you're not If you're like listening me, to this being like, oh, this is a thing I might want to look into. I, they don't own the DVD box sets already because then this would not be a conversation they needed to hear. Um, I believe it's Amazon Prime now. It used to be on Netflix. But you know what? I think that answer will change soon because the newest movie is coming out on NBC's streaming service. Which is what? Uh, Peacock. I've literally never heard of so that. So it's launching on the 15th, and this is one of the first things they're doing. I give vault. So Do we really... The fragmentation is crazy here. I agree with you, but I would wait... You know, I might look into it if you really want to start watching it. I think you can start watching it on Amazon Prime, Honestly, go on eBay and buy the DVDs. It's probably cheaper. Yeah, and, you know, it's just a fantastic show. It's eight seasons. They did a musical episode. If you're a fan of, like, basically any pop culture reference they probably have for you, they did, like, a Twin Peaks episode. They did a Fast and Furious episode. They've done all kinds of, like, supernatural phenomena episodes. You know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And and the last thing I'll say, because I know I've, like, talked... (laughs) I'm actually surprised I've been able to talk this long about it without you being like, and moving on, (laughs) is, you know, one of the things I, I, I am not qualified to, like, talk about this in any educated way about, like, the television industry or the way that we've talked about race in this country. And that is certainly, like, a huge issue right now. But one of the reasons that I really like this show is because this, so this show, you know, came out, like I said, 14 years ago. So think about the TV landscape 14 years ago. Basically, everybody was white, and there was not a lot of shows that had a lot of diversity on it. And I'll I'll put it to you this way. I think this show, it is not a serious show in in any way, shape, or form. But what it does is it low-key tackles conversations about race because of Dulé Hill's presence on the show and the fact that he is a co-lead along with James Roday, who... I mean, James Roday is is Latino, right? That's right. He's Latino. But he plays a white character. He has white parents on the show. He plays a white character. He actually, that was something that he, that the show gave him a platform as an actor to talk about basically the Hispanic erasure that he went through during, like, when he came to Hollywood, they basically, his, his, his real last name is Rodriguez. And his first language growing up was Spanish. And they did a telenovela episode, they right? They did. They did a telenovela episode where he got to speak Spanish. And he goes undercover at one point, or no, he goes undercover one one point as a character named Emilio Estevez Estevez. Um, <laughs> so like, Jesus, they, I know. They have... <laughs> greatest it's such a good show so it gave james roday a platform to talk about you know he changed his name his last name to roday for the way that martin sheen's real name is ramon estevez 
changed, you know, he changed his name, but he said like, they told me I had to do that in order to book gigs. And so I did it and I was young and I don't think I would have done it now, but the show gave him a platform as an actor to talk about that. And the show itself is really aware because they had black writers. The show was really aware of the race dynamic and they always play it for laughs. But like, you know, Marissa brought up Jamaican Inspector Man, which is my, one of my favorite things to come out of the show. And that character is from their musical episode. They are investigating some spooky goings on at a musical theater. They got Anthony Rapp of Rent from for this yeah, episode, sh- by the way. So sure they, did. They he was really the bad pull. guy, right? Yeah, he was the bad guy. They really pull. Oh, by the way, their guest stars are insane, and most of them come because Dulé Hill has like mad connections, <laughs> right? Because he was on the West Wing. Yeah. Oh, Richard Schiff is going to be in the new movie. By the way, he has a cameo. <laughs> Dulé Hill's phone is just like <laughs> just his contact list is just eight thousand people long. I, He's just texting them all like, "Hey, want to come be in our movie?" I was listening. Uh, yeah, well, okay, we- yeah. What is it anyway? <laughs> we're getting off topic. But so they go, they they go to this theater, and the show that they're putting on is like a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde kind of thing, and that's sort of the the basis for the musical episode, and. Dulé Hill's character says, you know, oh, I'd love to be in your production. And the the guy who is t- the producer or whatever is like, well, you know, sort of like a Victorian England type situation. Very clearly trying to say, like, you're not white, so you don't fit into my view of this cast. And Dulé Hill's character says, what? Uh, black people hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> but it is, it's those moments where they just get to kind of like poke at the assumptions. And there's another just very quick. And then he gets the role and he plays it as a Jamaican person. Yes, he, he plays it as a is Jamaican. His, is his, are his parents from Jamaica? Is that the situation? Yes. Uh, in so real life. In, in real life, Dulé Hill has Jamaican family. And on the show, Gus is one quarter Jamaican. And the last thing I'll say about this is there's a runner in the show where Sean will say to Gus, Gus, don't be a blank. Basically, like, don't be a naysayer in this situation. Like, we'll figure it out. But he always says something really silly and really funny. Like, don't be the ribs that flip over Fred Flintstone's car. Or don't be the American adaptation of the British Gus. Or whatever stupid things come out of his mouth, right? There's one episode where he says, Gus... Yeah, this is my favorite. <laughs> go, don't be the only black lead on a major cable network. And he, of course, he was. That's the whole point of the joke. And so I think when we're talking about like how to have representation on television, I actually low-key think that like Psych is really good about it. <laughs> like They know how to like have these conversations with this voice and have black writers in the room who are writing black characters who are you know Gus is a very well-rounded character he's really quirky he's really weird he thinks he's got swag but he's really bad with women like it's he's a really fun character and he doesn't he's not reduced to a caricature and I think it says a lot about how ahead of the times they were this came out you know like I said 14 years ago so that's the last thing I'll say about that that was a very I'm very happy that I got to share my love of this ridiculous, ridiculous show with all of you. But I love it so much. Please start watching it. And if you do start watching it, tell me on the Facebook group. 
<laughs> I can't believe I let you go on that long. I a long time. I was very surprised. <laughs> You'll cut it all out anyway. <laughs> so, all right, movies. Yeah. On the anxiety free cruise. What's yeah. going in the movie theater that has one person in it because it's anxiety free. Um, <laughs> this is a very basic pick for me. I love but it. the 2005 film version of Pride and Prejudice starring Kira Knightley. This is the movie that if you were like, what movie, if you could only ever watch one movie again for the rest of your life, it would probably be this movie for me. <laughs> like, it is, so hopefully everybody knows Pride and Prejudice was a, a, a novel by Jane Austen. What? <laughs> and it's been adapted a ton in various formats, and sometimes it's been modernized and updated and whatever. And, you know, Bollywood did a version. But this, to me, and like, I think purists would say the quintessential version is the 1995 BBC miniseries. Here's the problem with the 1995 BBC miniseries. Number one, it's a BBC miniseries, so that means they had no money. So, like, there's, like, no extras, and, like, the film quality is really low. You know, it's, like, those really rickety old cameras that they used to use somehow still in the 90s. And the other problem is that it is uh, six Gregorian hours long. <laughs> it's maybe five if you really watching it without commercials or whatever, you know, without without like act breaks or whatever. But it, it is five to six hours long. It, so it, that's not like a tenable. I, in college, we used to do uh, Pride and Prejudice and Pajamas and Pizza and, you know, just like put on our pajamas on like on a weekend day and order a pizza and watch Pride and Prejudice. But like... Unfortunately, I am an adult now, and I can't take five hours out of my day to watch a miniseries. The great thing about the 2005 version, there's a lot of great things about it. But the great thing is that they have managed to capture, like, all of the essence of the book in, like, a very normal movie runtime. You know, what is that, like, 90 minutes or two hours or whatever. Like, does stuff get cut out? Sure. Is it stuff that you absolutely need to have in order to understand what's going on? No. Hmm. Like, you don't need... Well, actually, Mr. Darcy came and visited her three separate times. And, like, it's it's fine. Like, the miniseries is, like, slavishly faithful to the actual text of the book in terms of, like, representing everything. And the movie is a little more loosey-goosey, and yet somehow it still manages to capture the spirit of this book that I, like, really, really love. Because I do love Austin. Everybody in the movie is killing it. The actors are amazing. Mm. Uh, Kira Knightley plays Elizabeth Bennett, which is so great. I mean, you get to see, and I'm just going to just say it. You get to see that Kira Knightley is actually quite flat chested. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I mean, I knew that from Bend It Like Beckham because I really. Right. Good point. But in every like major like studio movie that she's done, basically, they kind of costume her to make yeah. her look like more quote unquote desirable or whatever. They hoist her up. Yes. In this movie, she is just allowed to look the way that she looks. And you can see that, like, she looks like just a person instead of, like, this impossibly beautiful, you know, like, um, Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. I don't remember all the names. Donald Sutherland plays Mr. Bennett. Yeah. He's amazing. We got to talk about Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Oh, Dame Judi Dench. She's barely in the movie, but she's amazing for the amount of time she's in. Matthew McFadden is Darcy, and he does an amazing job of it. I think he really, like, captured... And his voice is, like... <laughs> you just close your eyes and listen to the voice. Like, it's... Rosamund Pike does a good job Rosamund Pike, that's right. So, you know, there are... 
The, the most major changes that the movie makes to the book, I would say, are characterological changes. And the two major ones are Jane and Georgiana. Georgiana basically is a completely different character in the movie than she is in the book. If that deeply matters to you, maybe then this isn't the movie for you. And Jane is, I would say, considerably different in the movie than she is in the book. She and Elizabeth don't have as close a relationship, and she's not as sort of, like, just completely sweet and shy. She's a little more tart. She's a little uh, more guarded than she is in the book. And and that, you know, that that was sort of, I think, to... to, to, to tighten up the screenplay they kind of needed to do that um the cinematography is unbelievable it is just the most gorgeously lavishly shot movie the imagery is amazing i could put it on on mute just to watch like the the colors and like the shots are just and that's not something that i usually notice but it's just such a gorgeous movie that i notice it every time and you know i would say it's pretty anxiety free like (laughs) yeah i i guess you know there are stakes in this movie and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, cer- certainly the position of women in the, in the, you know, the turn of the 19th century going from the 18th into the 19th century. Like, I'm not saying that women had it great, <laughs> but, uh, ge- these movies are focused on the gentry and therefore you don't have that much to worry about ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, it's funny, I was toying with putting the BBC miniseries of Pride and Prejudice as my movie <laughs> pick, because I did, I had a day fairly recently where I got a piece of just like very challenging news personally, and I w- had all these plans for the weekend that I was gonna like, you know, do this and do that and go out and, you know, try to walk around and blah, blah, blah. Right, she doesn't mean go out to the club, no, everybody. No, 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 no. <laughs> just leave my apartment. And um, I just couldn't do that after receiving this piece of information. So I just was like, what can I handle today? BBC Pride and Prejudice it is. And so that's <laughs> what I did for the full day. And that, and I put it on for exactly that reason, because this is a story that whether or not you watch the bbc version or this version you know that marissa's recommending which i will also highly recommend i think it's great um it is very anxiety free and it's a lovely watch and the other thing i'll say about the movie that i i think the movie version does better than the pride and prejudice version is the ages of all the daughters is a little is more that's an excellent point more we're get we're closer to the ages that they would have actually been in the book you know, the the 15-year-old sister, Lydia, looks very young, where in the BBC miniseries, she she kind of doesn't look... She is a grown she, lady. She's, she's supposed a, to be 15, and yeah, she looks she's, like she's 33. Yeah, she, she definitely looks... Julia Sawalha. That's right. And so, I think, and I think, you know, I don't... It's strange to be like, no spoilers, but like, you know, when, when that character's plotline unfolds... In the movie, it sort of struck me like, oh, this is, she's 15. That's a lot more serious than watching it as like, you know, same thing with, you know, some of the other characters being slightly older, like 
I love Jennifer Ely in the BBC version. I love her very dearly. Our The reason that we had this box set growing up is because our father thought Jennifer Ely was gorgeous. And so my mom just bought the BBC <laughs> miniseries for us. And we used to watch for it. For dad, it's like Jennifer Ely and uh, Juliette Grace, Binoche. Grace, Grace Kelly. Yeah. And Juliette Binoche. And it's the only women that matter in the world. <laughs> and I guess us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Our mom. But... When she says to Lady Catherine de Bourgh, like, I'm not one in 20, I'm like, I don't believe that coming out of your mouth, Jennifer Ely. Like, I like you as an actress, but you're definitely more, you're not 20 years old. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a funny tendency of, I would say it's like, it happens a lot in many, it's a lot in British stuff, you know, that the people are supposed to be extremely young and... (laughs) They are extremely not. And I don't know what that, I don't know what that's about. There was one, Sense and Sensibility, I think, was, I'm blanking on the actress's name, but she was like very, very invested in playing the protagonist, even though she was like too old to do it. So then she wrote the, she was in Love Actually. What's her name? Oh my God, that's right. She was in Love Actually also with. Uh, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Snape. What's right. Emma Thompson name? wrote the screenplay, and she so she wanted to play the older Dashwood sister. So they just sort of let her do that, but <laughs> you know she's too old for that. Who's the who plays Snape? Uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Now I'm I'm for I'm finally putting together that Alan Rickman was in both Love Actually and this Sense and Sensibility with. I think they were like BFFs. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I completely agree with you with Pride and Prejudice. It's a really lovely book, and it's a lovely movie, and it's a beautiful adaptation, and I think Keira Knightley does a fantastic job. And, you know, it's very pretty to look at, and the music is lovely, too. I really like the oh, music. Oh, it really it. is. Yeah, the music's amazing. And the the other thing I'll add is, I think, to, you know, to your point about them really doing a good job of capturing the essence of the book in that short runtime... Is I think, as you said, like the miniseries is very, very like textual. They're sort of like they go for the the text of the of the book, but the feeling of it is a little bit more prim and proper. Yes, exactly. the The movie has some moments where like there you can really feel like the emotions, the river of the emotions, is really running deep in these characters in a way that I don't think you get in the miniseries, which is really nice. Yes, there's there's a sense of remove in the miniseries, and it feels a little bit more like, almost like you're watching a play, you know, in like a like a period piece, as opposed to the film, which you know kind of gets you right up close with these characters and characters and makes you feel like you're like living in the world with them and like because their servants are there, like they because they have the money to like cast those people and like they go to a dance and the dance hall is. Full of people and you get the sense of like oh this is what it would be like to like live in this world you know that you'd just be in this crush of people and people are trying to get you know cops from someone who's pants and there's a and there's a live band here and the band you know is has actual people in it (laughs) all this stuff that like you they didn't have the money for i think in the miniseries and so therefore everything feels a little bit like they're they're actors on a stage like a like an honest stage show where you know, if they're at a dance, there really aren't a hundred people on the stage with them. There's just six people on the stage with them. And you're supposed to infer, oh, this means there's a hundred people, you know, in the room with them. Whereas the movie actually has the means to portray like the real 
uh, what it really would look like, feel like. Yeah. And, you know, there there are some moments of, like, interpersonal, like, I, I think the dance is a great example where, like, they're surrounded by all these people and then the cinematography is such that, you know, you twirl around and they're all of a sudden the only two in the room. And you're like, oh, that's a really f- interesting, cool way of showing that, like, they feel a connection towards each other in the middle of all this other chaos going on. But they're but in a BBC miniseries where they're being like very close to the text, they're not going to do something that's that kind of bold interpretive. Yeah, interpretive. Yeah. No, I think that's a great. I think that's a great one. My anxiety-free movie is like on the complete other end of the spectrum. <laughs> My anxiety-free movie is Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Yes, it is. <laughs> Short synopsis for you. Hotshot television anchorman Ron Burgundy, played by Will Ferrell, welcomes upstart reporter Veronica Corningstone, played by Christina Applegate, and I think what is her best role ever, uh, into the male-dominated world of 1970s broadcast news, that is, until the talented female journalist begins to outshine Burgundy on air. I words cannot express. <laughs> this movie is my original anxiety-free cruise I want to oh, set yeah, this, you gotta tell the story. I yeah. want to set the stage for everybody. The reason I love this movie is because years ago, my freshman year of college, Marissa and I went to the movie theater back when you could go to movie theaters. And yeah, we, this was 2006. This and was... we saw the bleakest and most <laughs> stressful movie ever made, Children of Men. <laughs> I don't... That is a hard pass. That is a hard not recommend that movie. I mean, look, it's an excellent film. Is it? I don't even remember. I just remember oh, being yes. so it is, stressed it out. It is an absolutely excellent film. I mean, I don't think that you could really levy a single technical criticism on that film. However, it is bleak AF. It is nonstop gray skies and sullen faces and the world is falling apart and it is yeah it is just bleak af and so marissa and i exited the theater and it the sun had kind of gone down and it had been raining and so we kind of exited into this gray sky and marissa you know who has always been my favorite person but in this moment (laughs) really stepped up to the plate with that title she said we need two things we need ice cream and we need a really silly movie to kind of like wash the taste of that one out of our mouth so we went to Coldstone Creamery. Shouts to Coldstone Creamery. That was right next to the, right next to the movie theater. And then we went to a. Am I remembering this correctly? We went to a Blockbuster Video. Were it they, would have been. A, it was a movie rental. I don't know if it was that or the movies place that we used to have. Movies, or, right? So we went to a movie rental place, which LOL. And we, she suggested Anchorman. I'd never seen it. And we went home and we watched it. And I've never laughed so hard in my <laughs> life. And then Marissa got me the DVD of it for my birthday that year. And I just watched it at least once a day for like at least two weeks, just on my (laughs) laptop in my freshman dorm, like watching this movie over and over again. And my college friends, some of whom are will listen to this episode. My college friends know that like I spent the next four years just yelling out quotes to Anchorman (laughs) on campus (laughs) I'm a lot of fun to be around. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) And it's, but it truly is just, it's so funny. It's so absurd. The cast is 
insanely funny and has this amazing chemistry and in addition to Will Ferrell, the other three guys on the news desk with him are Dave Keckner, uh, Steve Carell, and um, Paul Rudd, who is like one of our favorite people. Paul Rudd is like the guy who is super hot and also super funny, and that's just like not fair. Not yeah. fair that he gets to be both. But he almost, it's like he forgets that he's that attractive because he just will turn himself into these characters and. He plays Brian Fantana, and it's just my favorite. He's so funny. And it's incredibly quotable. It has all these amazing cameos. I mean, what else can you say about it? The the only other thing I'll say is, similar to Psych, like, it's low-key about sexism. And it's low-key about this woman it's coming old, in. old, old wooden ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's low-key about this woman... I mean, it's not, that's the whole plot of the movie, right? Is that there's a woman who comes in and she's prepared and she's professional and she's better than all of the men and the men are threatened. But in this version of reality that they have constructed, the way that they try to silence this woman is to like play hilarious pranks on her. (laughs) And she you know, does an excellent job of holding her own. And, you know, so it's very, like, it's that same thing kind of that I said Psych has, but, like, you know, we're having a lot of conversations about, like, women, representation of women and women's opportunities and how women's opportunities have been cut off professionally because men's, you know, sexist uh, assumptions or their inappropriate behavior in the workplace... This movie is like a total, total skewering of these guys. And I think that's what makes it work is that the four guys on the the news desk all understand that they're playing like complete sexist garbage people. And so they just have so much fun skewering these people, these characters, and putting them in these like ridiculous situations, making them the butt of jokes... But it all just so happens that they're played by very, very, very good comedians. And it's a Judd Apatow film. And he, you know, is basically a hit, a comedy hit maker. So, like, it's just got every single line of that movie is quotable. And it's a lot of fun. And then when you... I'm pretty sure that we have, after Good Place episodes that were particularly difficult, put on the Facebook group the Glass Case of Emotion gif. Yes! (laughs) I don't understand a one word you just... Uh, like, yes, Glass Case of Emotion is fantastic. I, and I said, when, when your older son, uh, when his original summer camp got canceled, you sent me that gif, and we had a whole conversation about ba- about your situation, but using Anchorman references to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I mean, what else do you, is there anything else you want to add about it? Because I just would love on this movie forever, but I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. I I would just put a slight caution on it that it is like very profane, occasionally gross. Not as as gross as some of the comedies in this uh, genre, but there's at least one scene that if I were watching it, I would have to skip through because it's too gross for me. Yeah, it's gross. Adult content for sure. Yes, this is not what you watch Pride and Prejudice with your young child. Please do not watch this with any person under the age of 17. No. <laughs> Adult content for sure. 
Yeah, I, that's a good warning. <laughs> but yeah, I just, it is truly the, that is the genesis of my comfort watching is Anchorman. And it's, I would say that it's better than all the other movies of its ilk. Like, um, the frat uh, old, old school, sure. you know. Stepbrothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's better than all those. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think some of it is just, the premise is is a higher concept premise than something like old school but it you know it's the chemistry of the people and you know Catherine Hahn's character is so great she only has a few lines but whenever I see Catherine Hahn in anything I always think of her in Anchorman just saying children grow up and it's just it makes me feel great if you need to laugh hysterically and not think that hard about something watch yes. Anchorman yes yes that's a great. How about you uh, kick off your books? Because I feel like I... <laughs> this is very... What's very on brand for Marissa is that she has so many books that she couldn't pick one. So I'm going to start out with mine. <laughs> Hashtag the struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start out with mine, which is called What in God's Name? And it's by Simon Rich. The short synopsis... Who is hilarious. I've read his short story He's collection. hysterical. Yeah, I have a couple of his short story collections. He was a writing partner of John Mulaney's on Saturday Night Live. He also wrote for Pixar for a while, so he has a really, you know, pun intended, rich background of of storytelling and humor, and this, I had read a couple of his short story collections, and I found out he had a novel coming out, and so I bought it, and that's what this is. It's called What in God's Name. The short synopsis, so the reason I picked this, I'll kind of put it up front, is that it's sort of my closest to The Good Place. Uh, my closest recommendation to The Good Place. If you're missing The Good Place, this is like a good book to read. The synopsis is that Heaven, Inc. is a grossly mismanaged corporation in the sky when God decides to retire to pursue his lifelong dream of opening an Asian fusion restaurant. He also decides to destroy Earth. Craig and Eliza, two underpaid angels in the lowly department of miracles, strikes a deal with their boss. He'll call off Armageddon if they can solve their toughest miracle yet, getting the two most socially awkward humans on the planet to fall in love. So this is a really, really funny read. It's very funny. It's very relatable. If you live in New York City or went to college in New York City, the two people that they're trying to make fall in love are two NYU students. So it's a lot of fun (laughs) that way. Like I said, this is my most The Good Place adjacent recommendation. You know, so it's worth a read if you're kind of missing The Good Place. And the reason it's sort of similar to me is that it has some of the same kind of like zany takes on the afterlife that The Good Place does. For example, you know, the afterlife is kind of run like a corporation. Some of the employees are phoning it in. Other ones are really serious, but they're not that effective. God is ultimately useless, and it's up to people who are lower on the totem pole to save the day. So, like, all those things are at play. You also kind of have, like, the human element. You know, it's not going to break... It's not going to make you break down in tears the way that The Good Place did. I mean, especially towards the end. it's It doesn't ask the same really big questions about, like, God and existence and, like, what we're all put on Earth for. But... Given its premise, it does kind of have the sa- the similar message that, like, love is the thing that will save the day. Love is the thing that is, like, worth fighting for, and it's a miracle, and, you know, we should all, you know, sort of strive for that in our lives, whatever that looks like for you. In this case, it's romantic love. So, but it's just, it's a really easy read. It's very funny. 
you know, God is kind of like he's a he's a disconnected CEO, so he's like the Jeff Bezos of heaven. And you have these two angels who are really they're like they really do believe that what they are doing is like making a small difference in people's lives. Like the kind of miracles they perform the two angels that we follow in the story, the kind of miracles they perform are like helping somebody find their keys or like making a fire hydrant, you know, spurt water on a hot day. That's, that's the kind of thing that they, (laughs) you know, and that's the kind of thing they take a lot of joy in. And so, you know, it really is. So there is also that sort of recognition and enjoyment of like all the little things in, in life. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be as effusive about this as I was about my other, you know, few recommendations, just because it's, this is not something that I have, like, a deep and abiding, like, long-time love for, but it is a very funny, relatable, interesting read, and Simon Rich is also just a very funny person himself. So if you like this book, he's got a bunch of other short story collections and a whole body of work on SNL. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's worth checking out. And I think especially given its connection, it's sort of themed connection with the good place. I wanted to include it. I'll have to put it on my list, although I just checked and it's not in my library. So that's a problem. Okay. Uh, boy. So <laughs> I don't think we've ever really talked about this on the show, but, like, I am, like, maybe my first and foremost identity before I was anything else was, like, a reader. Like, I was, I read extremely early, and I read everything. I read the back of cereal boxes, and it made me late for school, and I just read, you know, I read under the table in class and got in trouble and all that stuff. So, like, Read at the dinner table. Read at the dinner table. Uh, had to be physically prevented from bringing books to birthday parties, that sort of thing. Read on the way to pick me up from school, like walking as you were reading. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, my favorite, one of my favorite photos of myself is uh, I'm performing as a bridesmaid in my oldest friend's wedding. And I'm like all, I'm in my bridesmaid's dress and I'm all like done up with the hair and makeup. And I'm just like curled in a window seat reading Hunger Games uh, <laughs> because the bride knew me well enough to know that I would want to read Hunger Games, but also was foolish enough to lend it to me on the day of her wedding. (laughs) So uh, it's a huge, huge part of my identity. And um, so I find this to be like a really challenging question is like, what would you read during quarantine? Because honest to God, like I I could... Easily. First of all, what I would want to do would be like sit down with each person and be like, all right, tell me some things that you like. Tell me some things you don't like. Let me see if I can steer you to this, that, the other thing. Because that's how, I mean, books feel very personal to me. I mean, look, anybody can just watch a movie. It's 90 minutes. It's fine. You know, you, you liked it fine, whatever. But like, you actually have to invest so much energy in reading a book. Like you have to build an entire world in your mind. And if you're not like fully engaged in it, then it's not going to be a very good experience or you might just lose interest in it and just quit it or whatever. So book recommendations are like so personal. And that's why like, I really treasure, you know, there are like a few people who, and you know, and this bride is certainly one of them. Uh, One of our listeners is one of them. Like the people who like you are just like totally simpatico on books. And it's just like, Oh, you recommended this to me. You lent it to me. Like this is going to be something that I'm going to really enjoy. Uh, But those people are pretty few and far between. And I find that, most books that most people like, I find to be garbage. <laughs> like, 
and I'm sorry, and I don't mean to. I'm, 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 I don't mean to judge anybody. You know, if you really love reading like David Baldacci and Dan Brown, and or like a romance novel or something, like you do, follow your bliss. Honestly, like that's all any of us can do in this <laughs> moment, unless we're an elected official. And then please do more than follow your bliss. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of want to throw out. Just like a few, like very, I promise out these will be quick. Just like a few. Listen, quick... I talked for like twelve whole <laughs> minutes about Psych. You can name a few books. So, uh, Naomi Novik. So my my recommendations will certainly skew like sci fi fantasy because that's that's my uh, my preference. But like uh, Naomi Novik wrote a very long series called the Temeraire series that is basically Master and Commander, but with dragons. She also wrote two amazing fantasy books called Uprooted and Spinning Silver. Those are both like excellent picks for, for uh, lockdown quarantine. Patricia McKillop is a fantasy author who has an incredibly long book list, and I'm certainly not going to go through it, but the two that I own that I find like very transporting are Forgotten Beasts of Eld and Wonders of the Invisible World. Uh, Melissa Caruso is a uh, is an author who, like Naomi Novik, is is a, a little newer. Patricia McKillop has been on the scene for a long time. Uh, so Melissa Caruso wrote a trilogy that starts with a book called The Tethered Mage. And the, that trilogy has finished and now she has sort of jumped forward in time and started a new trilogy uh, in the same universe. Uh, the name of, I just read that book, but the name of that book is is escaping me at the moment. Those are all, uh, those are good books that, so part of the problem is like, a- anxiety-free books aren't really a thing. <laughs> like, but b- novels have to have tension in them. Or they don't work. Like, it's not like Queer Eye doesn't really have tension in it, right? And it does just fine not having tension in it because it's like reality TV and that's like a completely different medium. I don't think that novels work without tension. So I don't think any of these books are like fully like anxiety free or whatever, but they certainly have nothing to do with what's going on in real life right Mm. now. Uh, Diane Duane, D-U-A-N-E, has a YA series called the Young Wizard series that has uh, at least 10 books in it that is sort of like great sort of, uh, so sci- I would say science-based magic, which I know sounds really weird, but it is in stark contrast to a lot of magic systems where people just say funny words and things happen. This is like, oh no, like I have to change gravity a little bit in this one particular place. So I'm going to kind of tweak this over here. I mean, using magic, but really skillfully done. I realize I'm recommending all female authors. And the honest truth is that I'm at a point in my life where I don't read a lot of books by male authors. I'm not saying that I don't read any. I certainly do. But for me, basically, the book either has to be written by a woman or have a female protagonist. Uh, a, a male author and a male protagonist is very unlikely to be interesting to me. I think the last one I read about those is the Name of the Wind, the two Name of the Wind books that came out. I kind of just want to say, like, if any of these books sound, like, at all intriguing to you, can you please just email us? <laughs> <laughs> the good play pod at gmail.com and I will I will email you back and we can have a conversation about books. I mean this is not a this is not a book cast. <laughs> um it would take way too long for us to read books to to do a podcast about it. But I find books to to be my lifeline. I've certainly you know I've read 
I don't know, maybe like 20 books this year, which you have to give me credit for because I do, you know, live with two small children. So it's it's very challenging. I know people read a lot more than that, but they generally have uh, fewer small people tugging on their shirts all the time. I certainly haven't read that much and I live... With the voices in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I tried when when I I went through a long uh, withdrawal period from books at the beginning of lockdown. Like I just like I couldn't engage with any fiction at all. And when I came back to it, I tried reading like like very fluffy books that I would normally would not give the time of day to. And they were great in the moment, but I would never recommend them, you know, going forward because I think that fiction that's really engaging is the only thing that's actually going to get you out of your head. Oh, one more recommendation is Anne Leckie, who she certainly is best known for science fiction, but I would say her best book is her fantasy book, which is called The Raven Tower, uh, which is absolutely incredible. It's told from the point of view uh, of a god who is also a very large rock. And it's also a retelling of Hamlet. And it's just incredible. So if you want to talk books, please get at me. Uh, H- HMU, uh, the good play pod at gmail.com. I was going to say, like, I think Marissa, like, mis- you know, she's, maybe you could just find, like, a hobby as, like, a book concierge for people. Book concierge? Oh my god. The problem is, like, I don't read enough, I don't read widely enough for that to be a legitimate career for me, right? Like, there are entire genres that I'm like, oh, I'm not touching that, right? someone's like, I really want a spy thriller. I'm like, good luck. You know I don't... what you could do? You could subcontract out to our dad who reads almost <laughs> exclusively spy thrillers and nonfiction books about America. <laughs> if you would like to read either a biography of Eisenhower or a John le Carre novel, you can talk to our dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and if you would like graphic novel recommendations... You can subcontract out to me. That, sure. That's my... Uh, me and your firstborn have got you covered. <laughs> are, are you looking for an adult graphic novel, a young reader's graphic novel? We got you covered. Um, I almost included a graphic novel on this list, but truthfully, like, the graphic novels that I love the most and that I would love to recommend to people are all anxiety. They, they do not belong on the anxiety-free cruise. They are... Uh, much more serious and, you know, sad sometimes and, and that kind of thing. So I don't have very many fluffy graphic novels, <laughs> but they're all great. So if you need a recommendation. Gosh. So that we, we talked for a long time about those, but I think that was fun. <laughs> do we want to talk? Do we want to just at least briefly talk about like 100 episodes and thank our listeners? It crazy, doesn't it? It does seem crazy. <laughs> There are not very many of you left, I'm going to say, <laughs> like listeners. You're you're breathing rarefied air if you're actually <laughs> hearing this. The 100th episode crew. I like it. Yes. You know, we we had a fairly good following while The Good Place was on the air. And uh, I think a lot of people, understandably, after The Good Place is over, sort of was like, well, that's not a going concern and kind of unsubscribed. And that is fine. Uh, we are now whittled down to only the most diehard of fans of people who just want to hear our voices. Which is, I think that's the bonkers thing to me, is like, you guys stick around to just listen to us talk, which is really fun, but also, like, kind of crazy that those, that we are, that the fact that we are uh, entertaining to anybody but ourselves is sort of 
crazy to me, but in a good way. Because like we had, we would have these some of these conversations anyway, whether or not it was on air. And Certainly, all of the movie conversations about all the all the theatrical release conversations yeah. would have happened regardless. And you know, we just grew up around each other twenty four seven, and I'm just thinking about like our mom just walking in and looking at us and going like, I don't okay, you're speaking a different language, I don't know, and then, like, walking out. So to me, I think to me, to have people who want to, who feel like we're their buddies, like, that's really fun. And to want to listen to us just, like, gab about stuff, that's that's really fun. Yes. We're thankful to everybody who's listening. Yeah. Uh, all, all we, I think, will ever ask is for your ears. Like, we don't... <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> We're not going to ask anyone to help cover the costs of producing this. We're not going to ask anyone to cover Folks, anything. L- let me tell you about Casper mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm lying awake in existential dread, I like to do it on a Casper mattress. <laughs> yeah, that. I... <laughs> uh, so this is always going to be something. This is always going to be like a hobby that we're basically like, spending money on yeah. right it's it's like yeah. belonging to a gym or something <laughs> uh and, and the only like the only joy we get out of it is you know that we have people who are listening and you know occasionally will you know write to us and say hi yeah i mean and i think too like for when the good place was on i was really touched by you know, like we sort of made, we are the, the psych of uh, good place podcasts in, in that there are other good place podcasts and we would just reference them and being like, we're not them, but we're, we're still doing our thing over here. And, you know, I was really touched by like the community, the little small, but mighty community that kind of grew up around this podcast and the, the emails that you guys would send us or the messages that we would get on Facebook where, you know, you'd bring in theories and share articles with us and have recommendations for other shows and could we talk about this and I think this character is going to go in this direction and what do you think about this? Like, the fact that you were engaging with us on that level was really amazing. I mean, it's and it, and it fueled a lot of, I think, some of our best conversations, you know, to have your input in the show. So thank you so much. Do we want to talk about, like, what the good place has meant to us? Or is that, did we do that enough in the... <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and listen to me sob about the finale oh, if you want. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest. Life feels like it's in survival mode so much right now. Yeah. That it's hard to think about big ethical questions and how do you want to live your life. Because I don't actually get to choose how I live my life right now, by yeah. and large. But... I will always cherish that show. I can't wait for my kids to be old enough to actually sit down and, like, understand that show. Like, my firstborn, you know, has watched some episodes with it. He loves the trolley problem one where people get hit with the trolley because... He's seven. (laughs) He's seven. Uh, He wasn't even seven at the time, I don't think. But, you know, it's something that I I can't wait to pass down to my kids. And that, to me, that's, that's one of the highest compliments I can give that show. Yeah, you know, and the the only thing I'll say is, you know, I I was thinking about this, talking about the show in this context, um, and I, while I do agree with you that, you know, we're in survival mode a lot of the time now, and um, everything seems really harrowing, I think, 
you know, part of what, you know, not to get too ranty, but part of what I think is missing from a lot of the discourse around the pandemic and things like that is, is truthfully the question of what we owe to each other. And, you know, the, the moral questions around the value of life and, you know, what our communities do for us and what we can sometimes be called upon to do for the greater good and things like that. All those sort of really moral questions really are at the foundation of kind of what we're going through and what we are grappling with and, and quite frankly, struggling with as a country right now. Um, and so I definitely think there's a piece of that for me that I miss having a show that is grappling with those same questions, obviously in a, in a different premise, but you know, I miss having that sort of weekly reminder to try and be a better person. I think a lot of us could use it. And the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I, I think given the current circumstances to have a show that, that really explores what happens after you die and the kind of afterlife that we want to believe in and the kind of, you know, it's really wonderful. We've talked a lot about this on this show about our own beliefs about the afterlife and whether or not we believe it exists. We've seen a lot of death, unfortunately, worldwide and and particularly as a country. And for me, there is a, a moment every once in a while where, you know, I like to believe that the the people who have unfortunately lost their lives are going to a place where there is no sickness there's no scarcity there are no more problems there's no more stress and they get to be reunited with their loved ones and you know whenever they are ready they get to go choose you know to go through that final door once they're at peace and i think i've just been thinking about that it 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 seems like a really you know some i understand why you know, that was so affecting at the time. And I think now it's something I think about in the context of like, you know, we've lost a lot of people and, and it's a, to, to have a show that investigates death in that way and kind of makes you feel at peace with it is, is a interesting, raises a lot of interesting points. So that's me being like super serious when for the rest of the show, I've talked about like Paul Rudd and Jamaican inspectors. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that's, that's what, what I've been thinking about it is just, you know, the lessons that I think we're going to need to relearn <laughs> that we're constantly learning. And I'll wrap up with a very silly lesson, which is that the show tried to teach us that Florida is crazy and everybody in Florida is losing their minds all the time. <laughs> but we didn't heed. We didn't heed the lesson. No, we didn't. Jason Mendoza got a flu uh, virus named after him because he kissed a bat on a dare. And uh, (laughs) we are living in Jason Mendoza's bat flu reality. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we don't know what we're going to do next week. We'll figure it out. Don't worry, guys. Thank you for sticking with us for 100 episodes, Ding Dongs. That's a big deal. It is. Man. Yes. And uh, I guess here's to the next hundred? Hey, I'm just stuck in my apartment, so whatever you want to do, we'll be here for you, Ding Dongs. We'll see you next time.
crap. I should have thought of an actual example. Um, you fix just, it in post. Yeah, I will fix it in post. But like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just always wanted to say that. 